Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 448. Love what you do and do what you love. Honestly, if you're not in love with what you're doing for a living, move on. Do something else. Nobody wants you. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be around. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today, and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Ann Kearney. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am absolutely feeling unstoppable. <laughs> yes. Chef Ann Kearney is a graduate of the Greater Cincinnati Culinary Arts Academy. She would continue on to New Orleans, where she grew under the mentorship of John Neal and the Emerald Lagasse team. Eventually, Kearney had the opportunity to purchase Peristyle Restaurant in 1995, and in 2004, Kearney returned back to Ohio to open Rue Domain. Obviously, we're just scratching the surface. I can't wait to dive deeper into your story and what makes you you. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, I've got two. Taste is everything. I mean, if, if we're all making our food just look pretty, then what's the point? And um, eat something good today eat something good today and taste is everything dive into those quotes and why they resonate with you so much well taste is everything i i think right back to a time when john neal my mentor was teaching me to make duck liver pate and i had made it with him numerous times but he'd never let me make it and then one time he let me make it and he i had to go over and make it, have him taste it just as when he made it he would bring it over and we would taste it together to kind of learn about flavor and taste and what makes your palate recognize all of these different things together as one flavor yeah <clears throat> anyway so i took it over for him to taste and he said he said did you taste this and i said yes i did and he said did you really taste it and he said put it on your tongue and smear it on the top roof of your mouth and then breathe in through your mouth and then and then blow it out through your nose <laughs> <laughs> anyway and he and so he's like and it just made a big difference for me. And he, he was just like, taste is everything. So I mean, beyond the actual ability to taste something, this new way of tasting something, how else did that impact you, that experience? 
Well, I mean, it changed the rest of my life. I mean, every time I taste something, I not only reflect back on that time and that what that man meant to my went to, meant to my me and my career and my my um my chosen passion, but um it also reminds me of of what we're doing for people when something ta- when when you don't need to salt or pepper something everyone's taste is different but but when people say well how do you get the flavors how do you get these all these different things i mean i'm not i'm not reinventing the wheel i'm just seasoning each component and trying to take a lot, take note of its the complexities yeah. of it that can come together as one flavor beautiful awesome so let me ask you this question where did it all start for you when did you know that you this was your passion this was your life like when did you commit wholeheartedly to it well when i was 14 my mother went back to work so that we could all get a private school education my brother was old enough to my youngest brother was old enough to be in school uh, a full day of school so she went back to work and everybody had to pick up additional responsibilities within the house and mine was to cook so my mother always breakfast lunch and dinner she made us breakfast as she was packing our lunches and came home to dinner. I mean, and my father, bless his heart, he had had his mother cook dinner for him his whole adolescence, and then the Navy cooked dinner for him, and then he got married to my mother, and she cooked dinner for him. So <laughs> it, it didn't matter that she was working, and she might be getting home when he got home. He was not mean about it or un, or unpleasant at all. My mother knew. She just looked at the situation. She said, when I go back to work, you will be picking up the duties of making sure dinner's on the table by 6 o'clock. She, this, she said this to you or your dad? She said it to me. Oh, okay. But uh, so anyway, so I took over the responsibilities and it used to, we had chicken on Mondays and beef on Tuesdays, pork chops on Wednesdays. I mean, it was very center of the plate was very not not different every week. OK. And so I started cooking the dishes that she cooked and she had always cooked. And then I'd start mixing in a different something different, doing something different with the chicken and doing something different. With, and, I, and then one time I made chicken cordon bleu. And of course, everybody in America likes ham and cheese. Well, not everybody, but more people do than yeah. not. So putting a ham and cheese inside a chicken, that was like so exotic. And <laughs> Anyway, I made it for my family and my mother bragged to some of the neighbors and then I started doing them for them for parties. Just little things like that. I catered a wedding for one of my neighbors had a young couple in their church that was getting married and they wanted to just put a little reception together. And so, so I got a check when I was 16 for $700 back in the 80s. I mean, that was a lot of money. Yeah. And I was like... This does not suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, and this is kind of a philosophy a philosophy I have, but before I share it with you, I want to know, um, do you think it was the act of cooking itself or the act of the recognition for doing something well that made you fall in love with it? I think it was the act. I, I, I think, say, ask the question again. So I got lost think, in the answers. <laughs> do you think that uh, it was the act? actual act of cooking that yes. made you fall in it was love? The actual, yeah, yes. Well, mainly because if you make meatloaf three or four times and it turns out different every time and then you find a recipe that it, it's that and you start following the recipe you start you start understanding the chemistry and why food and I don't mean chemically like these gastronomy like your gastronomy kids. I mean I mean chemistry on a smaller much more I don't know layman's t- layman's terms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um I think that uh, when you find success with those things, when the cake doesn't stick to the pan every time or when the, the strudel topping, whatever it is that you're making, when it turns out and you understand like why dough is better to be thoroughly chilled for 30 minutes instead of put in the freezer mm. for 15 minutes and then the outside is cold and the inside is soft. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I pounded on the table. <laughs> it's okay. We, but we, anyway, <laughs> when you start understanding why you're, why you're doing things, and, and it becomes part of who you are, becomes part of who your 
your your makeup is as a professional than as a home cook at that time. But the reason why I asked is because you said you mentioned something when we were just getting or when you were telling the story that your mother uh, she would share what you were doing with everybody and she would like you know it was a simple act of chicken the cordon bleu but but the 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 recognition oh I'm just talking the housewives of Brahms Boulevard I mean they they weren't they were just. Like out putting the kids on the bus young, and saying, though, yeah. When you're young, though, that's a big deal. I wouldn't have, have any... recognized it yeah. as that, but it could have been that. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I don't know. The reason why I say it is because I think it's so important if you recognize uh, the ability in somebody, if they're good at something, let them know because like that reward could set them on the path of you know the rest of their life. Uh, and it's good to let, if you think something about somebody and it's a good thing, let them know because you never know what you might be, how you could be influencing them. But anyway, I digress. Uh, so. Continuing on, um, so this is kind of when you fall in love, but when did you know? Was it at this moment that you knew this was going to be your life, that this is what you were meant to do? Oh, I think 16 is when I had um, found some, when I was doing the own my own types of recipes and, and uh, doing some different my, things for my, just trying some different things out, that, and I was finding success in that personally. Um, but my nobody thought I should go to culinary school. Not not nobody, not my, my family was ultimately okay with it, but... Back then, I went to a private high school. They didn't want me to go to a blue collar. They didn't want. They were like, "Why would you want to be a yeah. cook? Why would you want to do that? There's no future in that." But you fought that. it. But you fought it. Well, I went to college. I went to yeah. college for a year, and had a fantastic time. <laughs> had a wonderful time. I was. Uh, I worked in the kitchen to make money, but I wasn't working in a professionally. I wasn't cooking. I was cleaning and moving things around. I wasn't. Anyway, but um, then I um. But I went and I got some good education about how to go to sororities and have a good time, and <laughs> it was a good time. But my parents were like, "We're not sending you back." I said, "I want to go to culinary school," so I saved and went to culinary school. So it was. It wasn't until five years later that you went to New Orleans, right after graduating, right? So well, I don't know. I mean, it was about five years. I graduated in ninety, or I graduated in eighty five. Graduated from high school in eighty five. I graduated culinary, so it was maybe three years. Okay. I, I don't know. Who knows? So you go out to New Orleans. Uh, with, what was the mission of going out there? Did you have an intent? Well, my one of my employees, I was running a kitchen in Cincinnati. One of my employees was uh, in culinary school where I had graduated from. And she w- went to her internship. She did her apprenticeship in, in New Orleans. And when she came back, she said, I'm moving back when I graduate. She's like, you should come with me. And I, was, and I had already thought about leaving Dayton. I was going to leave, excuse me, leaving Cincinnati. I was going to leave Ohio and just go work in five different cities, a different city for a year each. And then wherever I had to, I, I didn't think in a million years I would not come back to Ohio. That was just like <laughs> the world. It wasn't a big enough world then. You didn't, yeah. you didn't know what was out. There was no internet. There's no cable. This mm-hmm. is a long time ago. Yeah. Anyhow. So, um, I, Boston, Chicago, Miami, Dallas, and New Orleans, I think, cause Atlanta wasn't as big a boom as it is nowadays, but those were the cities that I was thinking. Those were, enough they had enough going on as far as being big enough yeah that i knew i could find work doing something mm-hmm. and um but i went to new orleans for mardi gras with the girl who was going to be graduating shortly and um didn't know anything about mardi gras i mean there was again no internet no cable there was time magazine yeah. and and national geographic <laughs> and i thought i'd seen a picture of a one in rio de janeiro but you know what i mean i hadn't there was no new orleans was not being shown in that light at least not at that time anyway but um my parents my good catholic parents let me go anyway and i had a good time i found a job in an apartment came home and drove back down two weeks later with seriously an air mattress and a couple thousand dollars and didn't know any better 
Okay, so you're there. Did you have a plan? Did you have something? You found a job. You said you had something I've found a job before I've moved, yeah. Okay. In, uh, on Mardi Gras weekend. And if you live in New Orleans, you know that's hilarious. Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you want to see the city at its prime? Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, take me through, like, what was this Was this uh, John Neal at the oh, time? This was Mr. B's Bistro. I worked at Mr. Okay. B's with, under Gerard Maris, who's still a kick-ass chef. Yeah. Hi, Gerard. <laughs> so what was this experience like? Take me through oh my gosh, key it moments. Was high, and- high level of vo- high volume higher quality like like a good quality it wasn't higher like the food i was using in when i was a chef in cincinnati was good quality but comparatively mm. like you're on the coast you're gonna get yeah, all this fresh, fresh fish yeah. i mean i was getting fish who knows how many days old it was not that we knew they need better but anyway long story short um so it was high volume and like one of the salads i started on pantry and one of the salads was had like 17 ingredients to it and the last one was Picking the petals off of a flower. This was in 1991. Okay. But it was very, very uh, new on the scene to do such. And, um, and but, but seriously, like the other ingredients, everything was really detailed. And um, I hadn't done high volume with that kind of detail before. And so that was quite a big. So high detail, experience. high volume. What was the biggest lesson you learned from Mr. B, the man behind the restaurant was was it was oh, mr b's is brennan's oh, it, was, it was ralph and cindy brennan now they've separated partnership they're brother and so sister. This is, the, is this the brennan's family of restaurants yes well there's there's several families but yeah just they are part of the brennan's family yes okay like of uh, commander's palace and um um redfish grill and a whole bunch a whole bunch of different bourbon there's another one bourbon house yeah they have a, a few going on there but the aside people, from yeah. getting the experience of that high demand high detail High volume, high detail. What did you learn about the Brennan family as a restaurant people? Any just life lessons on how to operate a restaurant, maybe good or bad? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel, yes, probably good. I mean, I know Ella Brennan, who is the, the grand dame of, of, the, uh, of the family that owns Commander's Palace. Um, she is, she taught me, she, I met her early on in my years in New Orleans, and I met her through Emerald, and Emerald had left Commander's to become his own um, entrepreneur. So, of course, meeting her through him was I w- the doors were opened because I was being introduced through him meaning mm-hmm. yeah. it was different than just walking it's up all to her know. yeah <laughs> yeah you don't know that until you know that right <laughs> anyhow but um she was mentioning something in a conversation there were other people around and she was saying that she never she's like you don't ever walk past something that's on the floor in anywhere in your restaurant mm. without picking it up like it's unex- it's inexcusable for for anybody to walk through the space that works there and not pick something off off the ground and and from that moment on i just like that's what i would do when i would be walking around mm-hmm. in the dining room and going to the bathroom whatever you're just constantly picking up like a, the, the little tor- torn edge of a of a sweet and low container a sweet and low, uh, packet like anything that would be down like a, a piece of ice like whatever it was you just stopped and you just it's like your own you're maintaining your own space like yeah like a chicken for god's sake <laughs> what about her as a person reflecting back oh well, she's wonderful she, she still is she yeah. still is yeah she still is she's wonderful any specific lessons on how to be and how to treat others from her any like oh well moments? just just i don't know respect it don't don't let anybody get anything over on you i know she was <laughs> she did not she did not did you did not mess around with ella oh awesome so okay you uh 1991 you were at mr b's eventually you head over to john neal's place what what made you leave Mrs. Well, john and i worked together at the bistro at maison de ville together he was the chef of the restaurant at the maison de ville hotel 
Okay. And I left uh, Mr. B's full time and worked there two days a week and worked full time at um, at uh, the bistro. And it was a 22 seat restaurant and it was it was the tiniest little kitchen. We literally you had to walk in front of the oven past the oven and then before you could open the oven door because you couldn't open the oven door and be in front of the oven yeah it was like this tiny little space and so we invented the circle dance where you literally like put a pan on the stove get it hot turn around put a piece of fish in it tur- keep turning it, it was the craziest thing but it was super efficient there was tons of prep area back outside i mean who does prep in louisiana outside like who does that there was no other options evidently it's very different now, I'm sure of it. But <laughs> yeah. anyway, it was um it was a unusual situation, but he was he trained under Susan Spicer and Susan Spicer was someone that I had um idolized as a young cook. She was one of the chefs that I wanted to go work for when I moved to New Orleans, but she had a rule that you did not hire someone until they were until they had a, a mailing address in, in New Orleans. That's a cool little trick. Why, and, why do you think she did that? Well, because I'm sure she's probably hired people before and they never ended up yeah. coming. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I I respected that. I wasn't like, you know, she's a bitch. Plus, <laughs> like, like, like how committed are they? Mm-hmm. You know, they're going out someplace. If you're not, if you're not like tied to that region by a, a like a, a lease or something, mm-hmm. like you could just easily like get started. She could spend all this time training you. Then a few months into it, like you're not cut out for it and you take off. Like it makes sense. I get that. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so you're working for John Neal. You were there from 91 to 95. Uh, well, or, John, or no, until you... John, and I worked, John and I worked together from 91 until end of 92. Okay. But it started off at the Bistro, and then we opened up. Um, no, that's not right. It started off at the Bistro at Maison de Ville, and then he left to open up Peristyle. And, and I, uh, I stayed on because he wasn't allowed to take anybody with him until they were open, and then he had told the when he gave his notice, he said that, that I was going to be going with him. So ultimately, we went and opened up Peristyle. We, could, we only opened up the front, which was, oh gosh, I'm going to say 20 seats. It was maybe even smaller than that. Um, the back dining room ultimately got opened up through the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just Bill and Maxine and John and I, just the four, the four of us. And I was the only employee. They were partners with, with each other. So anyway, but I got to go from running a space with them to completely getting it ready for... We're getting it. It's very, very loud in it's, here. It's okay. It's okay. No. It's, I'm not worried about it as long as you're not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. About it. I, I was like, are they bringing in the carts from somewhere? But anyhow, um, I've lost my train of thought already. So you're working, um, you're telling us about Bill Maxine and the partnership. And, and John. Okay, on. so um, John and I were the only ones in the kitchen. I mean, we didn't even have a dishwasher when we first opened. It was just, it was a old building on Rampart and Dumaine. And the, uh, the uh, behind the, the bar, this beautiful big columned bar, was a, a mural that was painted in the 1920s depicting City Park in the 1900s. And it has a, a white swan and a black swan, and it, it, was a par- it was the peristyle that it's out at City Park. And a peristyle is an architectural structure that's a columned building. But it was so iconic because it was a New Orleans icon. It was something that meant a lot to... Anyone who was a New Orleanian knew what it was. Okay. Knew where it was. So working the, the, this, these years with John Neal, it sounds like he was one of your biggest mentors. Is that safe yes, to say? Yes, he grabbed a hold of my mind at the bistro, and we had meetings once a week, and he, he always – those staff had meetings with him once a week, and then he would um, ask us, so, okay, what do you want to make next week? 
Like he, he, and then he would um, educate us on different classic dishes. Like we made floating islands. Like who makes floating islands? Like we, we, we were doing lots of classic, um, classic dishes, and then we would find a way to reinterpret them. I mean, he taught me to make demi glace. I've made demi glace every day since every, in every kitchen, as needed for the last since I met him. I mean, like like someone did that. He did that. He opened up my mind to the provincial region of France. He opened up my mind to indigenous ingredients and 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 um and then um flavor profiles that are indigenous to those regions so not just a niswa olive but a niswa olive with roasted eggplant and and basil and and tomato and and like all these things that naturally go together in provence so how I, can you not like that <laughs> i love the way you said he, he grabbed the hold of your heart and uh, you said you went on to say a couple other things like he would ask you about what you want to do and he would educate you. Is, is that what you would say that his interest in your growth, your education? Is that what made him grab? Is that what, you know? Well, I don't you, know if that's what I, he didn't just do it for me. He did it for everyone Everybody, in his kitchen. Yeah. But but um, it could have just been him also wanting to show off all the stuff he knew because he was a he was. I don't mean that. You know what I mean? It, <laughs> I mean, but I learned to make risotto from him. He learned to make risotto at Harry's Bar in Venice, yeah. Italy, working the risotto station like. There's nobody. There's nobody else in my entire life that would ever have been able to give me that experience, but him. Mm. And when I went to Harry's Bar in Venice, Italy, in 2007, and my girlfriend and I, who one of my fellow friends who's a cook, she and I were in Italy for a numerous days. Anyway, we went to Venice, Italy, and we ate. And we we ate. We we told them that my mentor used to work here and mentioned. And I mean, he worked there in the 80s like like this <laughs> like the major d acted like he remembered him and they paid for our entire meal like oh, wow. i didn't i didn't we didn't know they were doing that we just ordered this and ordered that and we ordered the risotto and i mean it was a and then a bellini because that was the home of the bellini that's evidently where the bellini the peach and champagne peach nectar and champagne classic cocktail the bellini okay. was created cool. and carpaccio is is rumored to have been one of the places where it was first rolled out as a um, classic Italian dish. And, and it has to be paper thin. Like you should be able to read the paper through your carpaccio. <laughs> like so many lessons that John taught me that he learned there and all over his time when he traveled in Italy and when he was working in Italy and, and France. And like, I didn't have any of those experiences. I didn't leave the United States. I didn't really leave Ohio to get my education. So most of my learning was through reading and, and then, now you can get all kinds of experiences. You don't have to leave your house. <laughs> what, were, what were the biggest lessons you think you learned from John? As like uh, knife skills, yeah, knife skills. I mean, he would dump out my um, my my uh, bowl of brunoise, and he would spread them out onto the cutting board, and he would pick out the not perfect ones. And I would just in my mind, I would be like, "You are such an asshole." <laughs> but I didn't. But I. I mean, he was he was fine tuning my skills. Hi, George. Hi, George. <laughs> he was fine-tuning my skills, and I was blessed to uh, have that discipline. Um, plus, I mean, I took my love of refining my love of French cuisine. I mean, I don't know. I mean, every single thing that, that he taught me, I, I still I can, I can make 100 things that he taught me. Let's bring it back to the life skills. So what do you think he was teaching you with that life skill of dumping everything out? That I had to keep trying. I had to keep pushing. Don't, don't get... Don't get stuck on stupid. <laughs> mm. Like, I don't know. Don't just assume that you're keeping up on those skills. Mm-hmm. And um, I have passed that on to many cooks. I've done, I've not been as boisterous as he was and dumped out their thing. But anyway, when I first started at Emeralds, it was an all-male kitchen. Just I'm jumping forward with knife skills for a moment. But um, I was in, it was an all-male kitchen. Every day, the men would walk past me and they would say under their breath, the young men, the cooks, my fellow comrades, 
ultimately we all became friends but they would be like you're not going to make it you're not going to make it you're not going to make it and i and i was like god how why would somebody say that to somebody you know why would why would you be so mean to somebody but i didn't it didn't stop me from keep doing what i was doing but ultimately the sous chef came over it was a shift change so the am team was in the pm team were still there and the am sous chef and the pm sous chef were still there and the pm sous chef came over and picked up my my Brunois pepper, which was on every plate. This, this was the 90s, remember. Mm-hmm. So there there was a little Brunois pepper, um, green red bell pepper sprinkled on the rim of every one of Emerald's plates, and it had Creole spice bammed on each plate as well. <laughs> anyway, so this was, that was the style of his his, his first place. But um, anyway, the PM sous chef came over, he dumped out, dumped out my Brunois pepper, and he spread it out on the cutting board, and he called the entire kitchen over, and he said, this is what your knife skills should look like. And Boom. I was like, "Yes, you can take that, Thank gentlemen." You, Chef I, John I mean, Lee. I, yes, Urch John, Neil. John Neil, John Neil. Yes, so, so I mean, you can imagine. I was like, called him the next day, and I was like, "Yes, guess what happened to me Thank today?" You. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so he he taught you standards. He taught you to not sacrifice your standards. What else did he teach you? Quality is everything. Taste is. I mean, taste is everything. Is basically what he taught me. But um, quality, quality first. It. It really matters what comes in your back door or your front door if you're buying food. But, um, but I will say, people have many times asked me, "Why is this so different? What makes this different than over here? What makes it taste best, taste better when we have it over there, or whatever?" And I'll be like, "Well, it, it all starts with what comes in your back door. I mean, mm. I'm I'm not the only one using good quality ingredients in Dayton, Ohio, or in this country. But um, you know, when you see a quality ingredient, and then." The, the purveyors and initially maybe sometimes they would be sending you you know they wouldn't be hand selecting your stuff quite as carefully and it's like look it's going to go back to your store and then it's going to come back I'm going to I mean you got to stop you got to stop it at the back door because mm-hmm. that's wasted product wasted money wasted time if you're bringing me bad food so kind of like progressing on through your career um, you learned the standards and the, the quality comes first with uh, John Neal uh, I think a lesson you learned with uh, Emerald Lagasse's group was the importance of recognizing good work you know, good work's done and making an example of somebody can be a very powerful tool to encourage somebody who's on the right path right like pointing them out and like mm-hmm. ag- acknowledging what's do- going well so what else did you learn aside from that with the, the Emerald, Emerald Lagasse group? Oh well, I mean Emerald was Emerald was that the restaurant it, it was his only restaurant at the time so he was only off one day a week that, that the restaurant was open. It was closed on Sundays, but he was always off on Tuesdays. So you were with him all the time. So he was leading, definitely leading by example. If you did a good job, you were a, a good cook, you you got tested. And it was not tested in a negative way, but like he would call back on a Saturday night. You're the only person working the hot app station. This is early in my time there. And um, he would call back and he'd be like, Annie girl, I'm going to need a scallop dish and... I want there to be some fried parsnips on top of it. And you're like, ah, what are you going to do? Like, oh my gosh, I have to like, and, or he'll say, you can use orange and you can, and, and like he would literally want that dish to take to a tasting table that he was going to present. Or, and, and you're like, oh my God. Like, anyway, crazy stuff. But <laughs> while you're getting your derriere kicked with doing all these other things and you're like, okay. But um, he wasn't just doing that to me. That was, he needed something. That's what you were there for. That was your that was your job. What do you mean? That's what you were there for to, to deliver on the work, or yeah, you were there. You were there to provide food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you were there to cook, and if he called on you, then you were like the one that he, he obviously thought you could handle it. So yeah, he's not going to call on you and have you go down because that's not going to make him look any better. So, would you say you learned from that experience? It's just like the power of empowering your people. 
Well, sure. I mean, I don't know that I consciously knew that at the yeah. time, but sure. Yeah. I what mean, else? He, um, well, I don't know. I mean, lead by example, I suppose. He, he was always a, he was always the first one to, I don't know. He, he, Emerald's really strong in a man. He was very good about um, educating people and um, in embracing, you know, the good qualities in people. And I, I really learned a great deal about business from him because I worked the front line. It was a different kitchen, a different setup than it is now. But it had two two cooks worked on the front stations. There was a grill station and saute. So myself and one other person, and then ten people sat at the food bar, which is right on the other side of your station. You could really, I couldn't. It's several feet away from you, but yeah. still, they're staring right at you while yeah. you're working in emeralds at the side. And he'd be ordering, you know, 30 tickets at once if it's what it took. <laughs> and you had to echo back everything as well as cook, as well as answer questions. And it was the biggest juggling act, but it was also doable. Mm-hmm. Somehow you made it happen. And the different partners that I worked up there with, I had uh, good times and, and challenging times. And but nonetheless, it was it was a, that was the most disciplined place I'd have ever had to work because you were right in front of the guests and you had to be responsive to your what's being called. You didn't get to look at the tickets. You were you were you were working on memory, short term mm. memory, and it was all night I long. I could never do that. <laughs> well, you That's would if you if, it, if you would if it was how you had to make a paycheck. Yeah, right. <laughs> You'd be so, like, I'll be out at front seating people. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm curious. You said you learned a lot of business skills from Emerald Lagasse. What was the best the, the biggest business skill you'd say you, you drew the from the biggest that business skill? Or just the first one that well, comes to mind. Well, one he he never said, "Don't talk," but he never said you like when I would go travel with him. I became his culinary, a personal culinary, a professional culinary assistant mm-hmm. for the last year and a half that I worked for him, and I got to travel all over the country with him and do. I packed the food and I would do the thing so he could be out doing networking and such and doing, and we would go on, we'd go to dinners and it would be a business dinner and it would not be something that would, I was ever to repeat. I never have ever repeated things that he talked about because they wouldn't be relevant to anyone's life. Yeah. Certainly not now, but, um, anyway, I just, I just would just sit and enjoy myself and I would be at Nobu, like the original Nobu out in California and LA. Like it was not. It wasn't anything of this empire that he's become, and it's been. It was so cool to be there and to taste this Japanese food that was fresher than anything I'd ever had in my life. Like there's significant memories of my time with Emerald, where he opened up my mind and my palate <laughs> and my belly to so many different things that I was not in any kind of financial place to do for myself at that time. I could cook good food, but I couldn't. I couldn't give myself the Nobu Los Angeles experience. So what's the lesson here? I'm hearing a couple of things. Don't you find know, a good boss, find a good boss <laughs> um, and just treat your not people even a well good and, boss. And, but yeah, you want to do that. Everybody intends. I mean, I don't know. I certainly would love to have been able to treat my, my, um, my employees through the last 30, 22 years. What of made Emerald a good boss? I'm curious if you could break it down. What made him a good boss? I don't know. He was a hard worker. It's nice to have a leader. That's a hard worker. He was smart though. He worked smart. Um, Give me an example of how it works. Oh, I don't know. I'm not (laughs) (laughs) pulling back the layers here. Hire good people to carry the bags and yeah, and then once you have them, take them to places like Nobu and have to make share in the reap the benefits of the experiences. Well, before you, um, before he needed a culinary assistant, he would he would do events all over the country, and and if you were good in the kitchen and you had shown you had proven yourself in the kitchen, and you get. He would take a hand, a select, sometimes it would be two cooks, sometimes it would be eight cooks. I mean, I mean, I went from East Coast to West Coast with him doing these types of things. And, and you ate, drank, and slept. You didn't sleep, but ate, drank, and slept in the same space, like in the same hotel or rented house or whatever. And it was all, it was like you lived by his rules. 
and you lived by his schedule. And that's a, that was pretty cool to be able to go to all these different places all over the country. And sometimes you're with your coworker, your, your fellow cooks, and sometimes it would be just him that we'd be traveling for, for TV food. Would network you say you learned discipline? By, by oh living gosh, with, I don't know. <laughs> living with by rules and having rules that you live by. Like, oh, I don't that, know. That would be that would be a stretch. I would imagine. Okay. <laughs> if he's if he ever listens to this, he would be smiling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know about that. So, uh, what was the next opportunity after working for Emerald Glassy? I bought I bought a pair of style from John, my mentor's uh, estate. He died, and um, his family because I had opened up the restaurant with him. His family came to me before it went on the market. The um, Long story, but Paul, this man who would represent John's family, was a friend of the of of John and mine from years of cooking for him. And anyway, he was the attorney for the event for the uh, the John's family. Anyway, he called me and said that the restaurant was going on the market in uh, in a couple of weeks, and that they wanted to offer it to me before it went on the market. Well, when you heard this news, what what were you thinking? I was thinking like, oh shit, I don't have any money. <laughs> so how'd you make <laughs> no, it? Happen? I think the first thing I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want this. I don't want the restaurant to become a gumbo shop. Not that there's anything wrong with the gumbo shop, but there are already enough gumbos yeah. available in the city. I wanted to keep this, this, you know, this French provincial fair that was Amer. You know, I just you wanted to honor the name. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I want to come in there and just maintain his level if nothing else. Bring it, take it to the next level. I mean, yeah. whatever I could do. And so I, um, I um, went in and um, went. I don't know. Hung up the phone and said, "Give me a couple of days to think about it." And I started looking for small business administration, like whatever kind of loans I could maybe try to get. And I was mm-hmm. thinking about all the people that would dine at the food bar when I worked at Emeralds, and they would always like, hey, "If you ever open your own restaurant, the doctors, like tons of doctors, lots of conventions would come to town, and people would be, oh, if you ever open up your own place, just give me a call." And and like I didn't know any. I mean, I was just a cute little twenty-seven-year-old girl working my dairy air off on the front line. And so <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, so I will do you that. Made mental checks. Well, I was just. Yeah. Th- I just kept thinking to myself, how am I going to make this happen? And so I went in. I was. I went and talked to Emerald, and he said, okay, well, is this what you want to do? And I said, it's all I can think about. It's all I can think about. I'm going to buy this restaurant and see what I can do. And so um, I. He said, well, why don't you bring in your paperwork and let me take a look at it tomorrow. So what I, paperwork he's referring well, to? the small business, in like any kind of business plan I had started to write up or anything. Like, oh, now, would you need a business plan to acquire a business? Well, if I was looking for money, I would. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it, anyway, it was an existing business, but I st- anyway, yes, I needed more money than just, yeah. anyway. So um, anyway, so the next day I came in and he was in the one of the, dining rooms and I went in it was a one of the private dining rooms and I opened up the door and there were like eight men in there in their suits and I'm like and he said he introduced me to the to the Whitney Bank people and he they had just loaned him two million dollars for his next restaurant and they he Wait, said so you walk in Emerald Gossi is sitting there with all these uh other like these these bankers and business okay cool he didn't tell you that part did he no and he said um he introduced me and he said uh, why don't you tell him what you want to do and I and I did basically and he said, "If you don't give her the money, I'm going to give it to her." So you may, may as he's like he's like you may you may as well yes. consider making the interest yourself. Yes. And um and uh, I like walked out and went home and 
went home and I was like, well, that was pretty cool. I don't have any idea what the implications of all that meant at that time. I was too naive and too young and didn't have any idea. I just knew that that was a pretty big deal, but I didn't, you know. So let's do a thing. What, in that time, like what did it mean to you? I know you, did, you just said it, it meant incredible. It was, it was like I get to buy my mentor's restaurant. I get to keep this thing going. That's awesome. There was no – I. I feel bad, almost bad for these youngsters today that are so caught up in getting recognition for what they're doing because that can't be the reason you spend your your entire day at work yeah. every day just trying to get your name on the map. I didn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, there wasn't, t- there Never was no TV line. Food Network. There yeah. was no, I mean, it was a new thing, the TV Food Network. There was no James Beard Awards. They, they were very new if they were, but they weren't, you know what I mean? These are, this. I didn't get into this to be all these things that I got to accomplish. I got into it because I was something I was good at, something I enjoyed doing, and something people need. <laughs> mm. And reflecting back at that moment now, seeing what Emerald Lagasse did for you back then, mm-hmm. what did that? What's the significance to you now, knowing what you know today? Reflecting back at that moment. Oh my goodness! Um, I mean, he opened. He he basically provided me the opportunity to to get on and, and take off on my own. He he. You know, I, I, I don't I don't know that I really wrote his coattails, but I was blessed to be with him upon the beginning and not the beginning, certainly, but the his rise to national and international stardom. I mean, yeah. I was I was with him on the coach flights. There was no first class. I mean, we were just kind of I was just kind of helping him out cooking yeah. things and writing recipes for him. And 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 it was a it was a great experience for that reason. I mean, we were both learning a lot. I learned a great deal about Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, we, because he was writing a book about Louisiana. So I got to be with all these people. And I mean, like it, he opened, it opened so many opportunities for me. It was, a, it was a priceless three years. I mean, just also just taking care of your people, right? I mean, you served him mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. and I'm sure, I'm sure he recognized that. Oh and yeah. I'm sure he wasn't thrilled to hear you'd be leaving him because you were an asset to him. But at the end of the day, oh, yeah, but- you know, it's not about <laughs> me. It's about the yeah. people that I'm here. Like your job as a restaurateur, in my opinion, is to push people out of your restaurant or to at least act like, you know, like to give them the skills, give them the, the ability to go do their own thing. And sometimes mm-hmm. if you're lucky, and it plays out right. Like you get to invest in their dreams and make them a partner or whatever. In right. this example, it didn't work out for him that way, but still, he still took care of you. You know, and it's just it just says so much about the the character of these successful people and oh, their yes. selflessness. You know, well, he didn't come from you know all that he's acquired. You know, I mean he he worked hard. He's been he's been working since he was fifteen years old, twelve years old, just like I, but just like yeah. most of children of that generation. I don't yeah. know how old, when how old were you when you had your first job? <laughs> well, my parents opened a restaurant when I was three. Oh, okay. So you were working. <laughs> okay. So you did. It was brought into your yeah. life early too. Uh, I was, I would take the school after I would take the school to the parent, my parents' restaurant after elementary school and I would start take the taking bus. the trash out. Oh yeah. Sorry. Take the bus after school to my parents' restaurant and I would, uh, take the trash out and mop the, and sweep and stuff like that. So uh, anyway, to um, make your allowance. <laughs> yeah. I ready to buy candy. I was a fat little kid. Uh, <laughs> continuing on with your story. Uh, so you, now you're the owner of uh Perry style. Perry style. Yep. So take us through what that initial experience was like. Well, a very good friend of mine, Wendy Jordan had taken over for me when I left Paris style to go work at Emeralds. I, I, I was with John. We both looked at each other one day. It was just the two of us in the kitchen, but, I'm getting I'm getting away from what you just asked me, but I'm talking about my segue into Wendy Jordan. Um, I just said I need to. I I was ready to learn from someone again, and he he needed to teach. So we were at that place where we were kind of like not as productive together as we needed to be. 
And so he wanted to, I, I was like, I'm going to start looking for a job in town. He had some people he wanted me to go interview with and da, da, da. And I wanted to go to, I wanted to go work for Emerald. And he, and so anyway, I had to warm him up to that idea okay. <laughs> ultimately. But, um, while I was at Emerald's for those next three years, his, his, um, his sous chef was Wendy Jordan and she's, um, she teaches out in Seattle now at uh, New England and what's it? The Cordon Bleu. Anyway, but, um, she, uh, she did a great job of holding things together. And so she stayed on and then her husband got transferred out to Las Vegas cause he was working for Emeralds and he opened up the Emeralds in Las Vegas. So she ultimately left anyway. So I was left with, um, kind of having her kind of do the transitionary thing, which was perfect for me. She, I got introduced to all the different functions of the restaurant without having to figure that out on my own with a crew of people I didn't know. And okay. so, um, I think I, initially I just took it over and maybe did def, added a few dishes and kind of kept going because I knew the food that John was doing. And then over the course of the next couple of months, it became my food. Ultimately, I transitioned and people would come in. Can you do that salad that John used to do? Sorry, I'm making fun of somebody's voice. I apologize. <laughs> um, that, that salad that John used to do with the goat cheese medallion, goat cheese medallion <laughs> on top and da, da, da. And of course, I had the ingredients in the house because I had goat cheese and spinach. And, yeah. and I was like, absolutely, I can do that. Yeah. But it's, it, I took it off and put on a, a salad yeah. that I that was more you to respect the request yeah. but you were you're making it your own at the oh same yeah time. i mean i mean i learned to make french lentils from john i had never had french lentils but i mean i don't have i've had french lentils on and off my menu for many times over the last 20 mm-hmm. 30 25 years but anyway but he he really kind of sparked a, a big uh he just kind of got ingredients that were that were more i got taught how to do things that were really more my style ultimately now so you had parasail for uh seven years that is the best ringtone ever. That, that is a um, that is a uh, alarm. It's my brain pill. <laughs> so you had Barry Style for seven years until two thousand two, right? And that's when, or no, sorry, two thousand four. Yes, right? two thousand four. So I had it so for nine for years. Nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, how were you going into that, or how were you leaving that restaurant compared to how you entered? Like, how did we evolve as a professional? Okay. Well, do you, if you, do you want to hear the whole story about my life? Cause it's, it's more than just professional, but ultimately, um, I was blessed from 1998. I started getting some national attention in 96, 97, 98, 98 was a big year for me. I got, uh, food and wine, top 10 chef. And I got wine spe- cover wine spectator. I got hired on a crystal cruise mm-hmm. for like, 12 days and through, you know, I mean, just like crazy stuff. Was, yeah. I was getting lots of exposure. And so it was a really wonderful time for me. But, um, through the next several years we had, we had lots of, we saw each time you got pushed to a level through the, even the early years, you, you rise to that occasion and you start operating at that level. And you're like, we've got this under control. Then then something else pushes you to another level. Then you get the cover of food, food and wine and wine spectator. And all of a sudden you're at even a higher level of where, you're you're refining your skills and your in your staff is everybody has to be on their on their mark every day they're you know so it was it was a, a wonderful time for us as a as a restaurant so did you have to change with each level did you have to get better with each level or do yeah, you, you think had you- to adapt you just had to adapt just like with everything just like as I, as I would tell cooks many times over you have to be like a chameleon Every day of your life in the kitchen, you're either going to be slow, busy, and maybe something grab. You have to constantly be adapting, and and it's not it's not a bad thing. You just you just learn to you so you order more more things instead of running out of something on a Friday and Saturday night. You you up your levels and you up your pars, just like with any business. The more you sell, you get you need to keep replenishing those things. You make bigger batches, and you know, 
Yeah. Make more bread. So what do you think the key to ad- adaptation is? How do you adapt at that level? You know, keep at good pace? records. Yeah. What do you mean? What kind of records are you talking about? Well, like in the finance, in the, in your computer world, you can have a POS or a, po- or a point of sale system and you get your, you get your sales for every day and see what things are selling. And, and if you put that together, oh, last week we sold 85 ribs. Well, yeah, we need to up our ribs because we, you know, I mean, you don't want to run out of things that every day take, they're, they're more than a day to prep. Mm. Like, so like curing salmon. Numbers, yeah. If you have cured salmon on your menu, you better be keeping that salmon cured. You better be on a schedule where yeah. you're getting that curing eight days before you need it mm-hmm. or it's not going to be ready. So <laughs> any significant points or lessons up to this point that you want to drop on us before we talk about you ultimately choosing to sell Perry style to open your own place in Dayton yeah. uh, that we, we oh, have yeah. on? Okay. Well, um, I had a brain aneurysm that ruptured in 2002. Okay. Which resulted in three brain surgeries. The last one was in September or was in uh, September of 03. And so I, I looked at my husband after I had three seizures after my brain surgery as a, as a recovering. It's a long story, but I was recovering from a very traumatic thing. And I just looked at my husband after the third seizure, which was a very minor seizure, but nonetheless, yeah. I just said, you know what? It might be time for us to just take a, take a step back from the life we're living. I mean, I would have loved to have continued to live that life, but I wasn't in a position where I could at that time. Mm-hmm. My father was dying of Alzheimer's, and my mother was taking care of him 24-7 here in Dayton, Ohio. And my brother lives here, but he was you know, he's a father and has his job. And his, I mean, it's, a, it's hard to be around for to help out when you have all these other demands on you. So anyhow, um, we, we sold the restaurant in the house before nine months before the hurricane and uh, moved back to Dayton. I mean, And I started growing vegetables on their property in Lebanon and... Started working seed to table instead of instead of farm to table. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, you move back home to be with family, to be right. part of family. Uh, when did you have the vision to open your? Oh, I restaurant? don't know. Some people just started talking about it, and I said, "Okay, I'll give it some thought." And I found a location, and I said, "I called the number on the on the window, and I said I'd like to set up an appointment to see the property at da 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 da." And they said, "Someone will be there in five minutes." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Hung up the phone, called my husband, and said, "Tom." Um, I just, I'm going to go, I'm out in front of this building. I'm going to go inside and see what's going on in here. It's a, it's a restaurant that's been closed. And literally, they were open for four months. They put a ridiculous amount of money into the build-out, the restaurant that was there before us. They closed in four months. Literally, the doors got locked on them. And so there was still food on the tables. I mean, there was still food in the walk-in. It was, it was the craziest thing in the world. Anyway, but it was an Asian restaurant, so I didn't need any of the uh-huh. equipment that was in there. And so, but it was for lock, stock, and barrel. I could have bought it. I bought it from the bank for one price. And and you don't you don't understand. Like like that was the second gift that was handed to me, restaurant wise. Yeah. Like like I still had to invest money in, in in redecorating and getting things up to up to code and such. But but it was it was a it was a reasonable amount of money to spend to open up a restaurant. I mean, yeah. people. How much do you need? I'm curious. The, 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 I'm not even going to tell you. It would make you <laughs> sick. It would make you sick if you know, like, that now you need a million and a half. I mean, you just don't. Yeah. You can't open up spaces without, you know. Well, I mean, and I'm sure they had a range of the essentials that you didn't replace. A range oven, maybe. Did they even have an oven? Hmm. No. I mean, I bought, I bought, when I sold, I sold the seven burner wok stove. That okay. was what they had on the front line. Actually, I gave it away. I actually I think I might have paid somebody to take it to somebody else's restaurant. I'm like, I do not need that. Yeah. And um, there were some rice cookers and things like that. And I mean, I, the two fryers lasted for the whole 10 years that we were there. Okay. 
So yeah, there was there was a lot of really good. So things. relatively like turnkey, but not for what you were looking for. Right. Well, I mean, I got to use a qu- like I didn't have to buy shelves for the walk-in. I didn't have to buy yeah, pans exactly. and pots, and I had to buy mostly pots and pans because they didn't have. Um, but I didn't have to buy sheet trays. I didn't yeah. have to buy storage containers, and didn't have to buy a new Hobart dish machine. Didn't have to buy a Roboku. No. Didn't have yeah. to buy a, a ton of stuff. That I mean, you like off the list. like a like a, an, a lovely amount of things. So this is was this your first restaurant that you opened? No, I well I opened well, um, not okay. There was a fire in 1999 that put us out of business in um, at Peristyle the um, uh, November 1999. There was a fire in the apartment above the restaurant that put us out of business for nine months. So we had to they because it was more more than 24 hours that we were closed. Everything, all the grandfather clauses got waived. So we had to everything had to be brought up to ADA and um, but you have to walk through the French Quarter with a person from the historical society so that was a whole other big challenge so yeah. that was that was the, that would have been the first one i opened from scratch so yeah so okay what what experiences did you learn uh hindsight being 2020 and looking back to this first opening was would there have been anything you would have done differently no okay so what did you do right i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay so you opened a lot of uh, things i did name, a lot of things right the name of the restaurant rue Domaine. Um, Dumaine Street in New Orleans. The streets are in French and then English in the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dumaine Street is where my restaurant was in New Orleans. And I spent the last 13 years in New Orleans. And so I thought, why not pay homage to that yeah. journey? And that's where my, my food got refined as, the, as Louisiana French. Mm-hmm. And Ohio French didn't have the, quite the same flair to me as Louisiana French had. So I, um, I, we, we just, it was an American French. So, so I, I dumbed it down as far as the French complexity. And I don't mean that Dayton wasn't complex enough to handle it, but I wanted color. to open to yeah. a I wanted to open up to a broader audience. So yeah. steak free. So you can imagine that the steak with the French fries was a very popular dish. Yeah. <laughs> as was the braised short ribs, which okay. I was happier that people were trying would would give that an opportunity rather than a steak. But but either way, I mean a lot of food was there's lots of things about it that was wonderful. So aside from having to adapt to the the palate of the Midwest mm-hmm. Uh, how else did you have to adapt um, to be successful in the Midwest? <laughs> ingredients. Okay. Sourcing ingredients. Okay. It's like $50 to have my cheese sent to me from, from California. That I, The same cheese I would have sent to me. And it could have just been a sign of the times, really, yeah. ultimately. But like it didn't cost me $10 more a pound to have five pounds of cheese sent to me from my broker in California. As it, as it, that's what it cost me here. But um, when I came to Dayton, so I ended up. Um, setting up an account through Dorothy Lane Market, where we're sitting right now, yeah. and the same cheeses they were getting in once and twice a week, and I just would select different cheeses. All American, all artisan cheeses were the only cheeses we used on our menu. So I, I brought that that palette with me back from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. These high quality ingredients and fresh seafood. I can get things through Dorothy Lane Market as well, but I used Euclid fish and Foremost seafood. Like they're they're bringing in quality ingredients, but like in New Orleans, you just yeah. it's a whole different it's totally. a whole different animal. Yeah. Like I'm. You don't have to like take a second mortgage out on your house to get a crab salad in your on your menu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but but um, the price is so astronomically different when you're using golf seafood in your restaurants in the Gulf. <laughs> so aside from or on the golf, the pricing and sourcing. Uh, what about? Uh, I mean, let me just ask you this: What was the biggest challenge at this time trying to open that that second restaurant? Peristyle. Yeah. No. Or um, Rudemain. Rudemain. Yeah. The biggest challenge. I don't know. People telling us that all Dayton wants is, a, is hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. How are you going to make it happen? So how'd you, how'd you make it happen? <laughs> well, it wasn't easy. I mean, we, we adapted. I think that culture, I think the menu probably changed 
I adapted the menu to be a little bit more pedestrian and I don't, again, I don't mean everybody that comes into the restaurant didn't know what they were doing. I just mean that there, there are people, their palates are not, they're not as educated and that's not a bad thing. You got to look at how far society has evolved in the past Mm -hmm. since 2004. I mean, 2004 uh, was three years before the iPhone came out. So we didn't, we weren't as culture. We didn't have the ability to peer into restaurants across the nation to see what Mm -hmm. all these other people are doing. So yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, I would, I would imagine the the food in a city like Louisiana or uh, New Orleans would be a little bit more uh, advanced. Mm-hmm. So you have to do ad- you have to adapt to the market. Well, not even that though. But like, I was doing. I mean, the ingredients that were available were more were were more at a broader spectrum of things that were available to me mm-hmm. in New Orleans than I did initially in Dayton. Like mm-hmm. nobody was using hanger steak in Dayton, Ohio. And that may not be that fantastic of a thing to you, but I found it to be a wonderful alternative to beef tenderloin because I couldn't, I, I didn't want to, the, the price of beef was so astronomical. I didn't want to fillet on my menu anyway. It was, it didn't have as much flavor to me. Okay. And so when I came back to Dayton and I'm looking for this hanger steak, I literally had to have it start being brought in and then be, it, it became more nationally recognized, not because of me, but it became something that was, the prices were going up on the prime cuts. The chefs were looking for alternative cuts and they started becoming very popular. Then you can buy it in Dorthling Market meat counter right now. You know mm-hmm. I mean? It's a good thing now. It's progressed. Yeah. Um, so I miss, I miss so much about the South, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, there's a lot of things that are available here. There's just a shorter time that they're available. Yeah. So you get a little like, I get a little pouty because yeah. I don't have mushrooms all year <laughs> round. <laughs> so 2004 is when you, you pull this off. Some of the, what are the biggest lessons from opening uh, Rue de Maine? Or just oh being gosh. the owner in all the years that you you did own it. Because you, you had it until recently in 2017, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Until July. The lease was up. So how did that business evolve compared to the other businesses? Well, I think that the thing that was the most, the well, one of the things I should say that was the most difficult was the uh, just not having a local landlord. Once our building sold from local to a national, to a account in California, mm-hmm. we had um, property taxes that got passed on part of, as part of our lease. Every single tenant in the building had an 80% increase of their property taxes Ugh. passed on to them. So for the last two years, I was basically just, just so, keeping the gar- keeping the restaurant open to, to, um, to spare myself the chase that would have to be ensued by a you know five billion dollar joint venture capitalist so, group in California chasing me for the rest of my life. Prior to the uh, the property, property being tax. sold, the property tax was being paid by the landlord, and then when the no okay, so the it's dis- a triple net lease. You pay your property taxes. It's it's one of the three things that you're responsible for in addition to your to your um, your m- monthly payment to your landlord. So how did that change of ownership change the property tax? Well, it had been built. It was. It was built in the 80s, and then it was sold in 2012 or 2015 at a, at a considerable increase of the value of the property. Okay, got you. And then you basically once that, that transition they, happened or transaction well, yeah, happened. Well, well, California didn't feel the need to debate it or bring it up to Montgomery County and say, hey, why would you, why would you do that to us? Which you are allowed to do, but, and sometimes they, they take a look at it and they reassess it, but they didn't, they yeah. didn't bother to do that because they had these tenants paying it. So all I know is the building is empty and has been since July. And I feel terrible that mm. that Rue Domain's not here. I feel terrible that I, I think about, I thought about it the other day, all the people that I used to see once a week and some of them twice a week. And it's been since July and I haven't seen, I'm seeing them here and there, but I miss that, that connection with the community. Certainly mm. when I see people out and about, it's not always 
you're not always in a situation where you would enjoy their company as much as if they were sitting at your restaurant or you were you sometimes get to sit down next to them and and catch up on how their families are doing and their kids are doing and and um I miss doing that. Mm-hmm. So, uh it's not it's not enough of a reason to get back into it yet. <laughs> People ask me all the time, "Do you miss it?" and I say, "Yes, I do miss it." But the stress that the just the last couple of years I needed to get away from that situation and I need to kind of get myself firmly planted back on the ground and I will um I'll be back to do something someday but yeah so you also take you, some time off. you did a rebrand right in 2017 or not a rebrand but you kind of changed from well, yes I went to more a, a, a little to more casual yeah, yeah well I mean the food was still the same high quality but yeah we wanted to make it see if we could just grab a few get the attention of a few more people broadening our hours and offering more casual fare so people weren't thinking of it as just a special occasion place because we sort of became that through the years and and you know plenty of people celebrate birthdays and anniversaries so we got to see quite a few people, yeah. but but um, we're just dropping in while you drop off the drop off your kids at the at the right at the rec center or coming by after you you know you after you got done with the whatever the ball game or whatever yeah. before the game. So you and wanted so, to appeal to a broader market, right? Okay, and was that to combat the spike in rent? Maybe to try to get oh busy? yes, okay. yes, yes, absolutely, and all the the legal battles that ensued because of such. Yes, I you can't even. There's, it's, if it's, I, I feel I have to be really cautious when I'm uh, talking with youngsters about getting into this business because I don't want to be a jaded old lady because I, I don't believe I am jaded. But there, there are <laughs> there things, are realities. There though. are realities that that sometimes take your attention and, and and you need to just take a deep breath and make make sure that if somebody wants to open their own business, just hand them over your P and L statement. They don't need to see the numbers that your numbers. They just need to see the all the different people that you're responsible for. For keeping going while you're keeping your pretty food, good, put, putting food on plates. Yeah. So hindsight being 2020, I use that saying way too you much. You do. My dad used to say that too. Uh, <laughs> looking old. back at this time, uh, what, would you have done anything differently or could you have done anything differently to protect yourself or is it just kind of the nature of the beast? It's the nature of the beast. I mean, I, I suppose we should have worried about it a little more, but there's nothing. We wouldn't have been able to change it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I've actually had people say, I mean, I don't know. It's, there's so many people have so many different opinions on how they would have handled it. But the the fact of the matter is it's done. It's, it, I'm going to, I'm going to find myself a, a place to, uh, and I'm going to continue to do what I do here date right now, which mm-hmm. is private events. I'm doing small dinners for 10 people, dinners for two, dinners for 12. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying putting the menus together and being part of someone's evening, part of their dining experience and them leaving their feeling like they were, yeah, I'm very satisfied by the, the personal attention and and um, makes for a good time. Beautiful. So, what was it like transitioning? Uh, maybe I should have asked this question before from being the mentee to the mentor, opening your own place, developing these people. Because I heard that you kind of had a, a really really great talent pool on your or behind your restaurant. So, what was it like attracting onto yourself and getting those people? When was that? Like like in Dayton, you mean? Yeah, like you had. Oh, well, like- sure. I mean, I didn't know that though. I mean, I mean, I knew Brian Griffey had been a chef in town for a while, but, but um, but I didn't. I mean, I, I just I had never worked for anybody in Dayton, and I had never hired anybody in Dayton. So, Brian has been in Dayton for so many years, and he had worked in such different, in so many different capacities that he had a, a really broad reach of people that he had um had worked under had worked under him, mm-hmm. and worked with him alongside him. He was brought to Dayton by Bravo. And, um, and then, so he had that connection. So he had people in Columbus and Dayton. And so it, it was just, he just knew, he's like, you know what? And, and, and anyway, Brian Griffey is fantastic still to this day, but like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call an electrician, a plumber, 
I wouldn't call anybody until I had Brian look at something. Like he can fix almost anything. So was he your exec? <laughs> did he was he was my sous chef sous when chef. we first okay. opened? I had no in- honest to God, just between you and me, the gate post and all the people that are listening, I had no intention of being the in-house on-site chef at at Rue du Maine full time. Like why would I do that to my? Why would I leave yeah. Paris style and start something in Ohio when I? could have just taken a break in New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, why would I do that? So I was going to I was going to um put someone into a position of being the chef of the restaurant and I was just going to be checking and making sure things were getting done, but it never turned out to be that way. It required far more maintenance than it um should have. <laughs> just because of everything coming from scratch, the ma- just the labor to keep something mm-hmm. like that going, bringing in these ingredients from all corners of the United States. I mean, it was it wasn't anything terribly exotic, but it it took a lot of effort. So knowing that now, could you have done anything different to to have made it that way? Or is it just... Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, we could sit down and talk one night about yeah. it. <laughs> I'm sure I could have. I mean, there's plenty of shortcuts you can take. I just Weren't have willing. never been in my... Yeah. Never, I mean, I I thought to myself at one point when I was thinking, when I was just getting ready to... I was putting a menu together and I was going to put crepes on the menu. And I was like, you know, I could buy crepes. That would be saving the labor of somebody making the batter and cooking the crepe. And then all they would have to do is make the filling from scratch. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Why would you buy a crepe? Yeah. Put the batter in the blender, blend it up. <laughs> the next day, make some crepes. It'll take an yeah. hour. What's the big deal? But but that is a big deal. Those types of things are a big deal. If you get sweetbreads, you have to get them in four days in advance. Yeah. You got to soak them for 24 hours. Then you got to poach them and press them, peel them and then poach them. I mean, there's, there's things take time. Yeah. So one thing I am curious about is moving. What was it like, uh, the talent pool, like going from, you know, having oh, Louisiana well. where it attracts all types of people from all over the place to coming back to Dayton. Was it harder to, yeah. I mean, I hired people that had never worked in kittens before. Mm-hmm. What was that? Was Here, it welcome to the kitchen. Was that a new challenge for you? Oh yeah, definitely. What'd you learn about that? Well, Patience is a virtue, mm-hmm. and it's going to take. You're going to be there a lot more than than you thought you were, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But once you, I mean, there were there are a few people that slipped through the cracks that that didn't turn out. But um, I'm I'm I was very happy with the product with the the the, the, the um the the talent pool in Dayton. I mean, there are times when we would be like, oh my gosh, we've got to find somebody. We've got to find somebody if someone gave their notice because they were moving on or going back to school yeah. or or something. And um, there were times when it was tough, but we had enough. Um, flexibility that Brian or I could work a station, and so I mean there were nights when there were there, our first lunch that we opened for lunch back in two thousand eight. Brian and I worked this worked lunch by ourselves, like like <laughs> like we were like okay, we don't want to pay anybody else to have to do this. Okay, yeah. come on, let's see if we can make this happen. So okay, up to this point, uh, before we take a break to thank the sponsors, anything that we haven't discussed, any bombs of knowledge you want to drop on us before we, we take a break that you can. Uh, well, I don't know. We've talked about it a little bit early, earlier, but you know, eat something great today. Think about what you're putting into your body. I try to do it every single day, and there is a difference in quality of food that, mm-hmm. that is available to us. And um, it's more than just salt and pepper. It's more than just. I mean, just think about if you're going to eat butter, eat the best butter. Mm. I mean, that's available that you can afford. But but give yourself an opportunity to really taste what you're eating, and um, don't eat a bunch of crap. Don't don't buy processed foods and. And don't um, don't allow yourself to go to Taco Bell. <laughs> Sorry, Taco Bell. Hope that's not one of your. Sponsors. So, what's your message to the people? No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, what's your because me- I agree with you. Um, I also will buy a bag of Doritos from time to time. I'm not going to oh, lie. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> but uh, when I whenever I can, I try to I try to go to the best. And I realize that it's more expensive. And I realize that it, I might not be in the position to do that financially. 
But why does why is it so important to to really pay attention to the quality of food you're putting in your body? Just not even for yourself, but for all the other reasons. What are those reasons? I don't know. I'm not going to. I look at food and I think to myself, I'm not going to buy a two day, two day old piece of cake. Why would I serve a two day old piece of cake? Yeah. I'm. Not, I mean, like like guess customer guest perception. I mean, there's a chef in town. Who told me that? Why should I serve fresh fish if the if the if the clientele doesn't know the difference? Like, and I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. I hope you're not telling your staff that that's fresh to tell people that it's fresh. I mean, so I keep telling, I try to implore to people, ask where your food comes from. Yeah. When you go somewhere and you're getting a shrimp dish and you want to know why it's so expensive when you come to Rue Domaine while I'm using American golf shrimp and I'm sorry that yeah I'm sorry that you don't like the like the price difference doesn't make sense to you sometimes but but Think about, ask them where you're going that you're getting the shrimp that are so much less expensive and yeah. say, what kind of shrimp are these and where are these from? Yeah. And if they're a farm in Asia, I wouldn't eat them. Yeah. I mean. And I if would, they can't answer the question, that's another sign that you probably If they have to go back them. and ask yeah. their dang chef, or, I mean, come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> Work with me. Awesome. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Salt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, my goodness. 
good butter. Persevere. <laughs> Perseverance. Perseverance. Beautiful. Perseverance. What is your biggest weakness? Hmm. I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm a worker bee. Sometimes I overwork. Mm. What is one question you asked or thing you looked for during the interview process when you're trying to build that team? What do you like to make for yourself? What were you looking for? Really, when, when when, yeah, when you ask that question, were you looking for anything I'm looking in particular? to see if people cook for themselves or look to see if they... If they I don't know. How can do you even, celebrate food? Yeah, you can even get excited about it, right? Um, what is your current challenge today? Current challenge today is sourcing ingredients. As a private chef, you wait for... You, you go collect your goods. Yeah. Like if you have a, st- a brick and mortar, they deliver them to yeah. you. So I spend a lot of time in my car, which allows me to listen to good talk radio and good music. And I'm, I don't, don't mind it so much, but it does take time, Yeah, which is valuable. What's, are, are you doing anything different to, like, to combat this new challenge? Or have you evolved to do it better? Well, make a list. I'm a list kind of gal. I make lists yeah. and I try to fit different trips in. I, was, uh, I had to go down town today to drop off a, a lunch that I that somebody ordered from me and um, on the way back I took I just typed into GPS the two different places I needed to go and I went to one and then went to the other and got home and it was it was efficient so you had to be more efficient share one code of conduct or behavior you taught your team this is like a core value of belief how to be oh my goodness I wish they were here to tell me <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been teaching anybody anything lately. Um, taste is everything is something that we talked about. I mean, um, oh my goodness, I've lost it. I don't have any idea. <laughs> my core value, I just, I don't know. I like people that are on time. I like people that are clean. I like people to taste things. I mean, we're the, we're the only ones that were tasting the food before the guests get to taste it. Come on. Now now I feel good because you told me I looked clean when we before we got started. So, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> scored points. Yes. <laughs> Being uh, clean is important. It is. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you taught your team? So this was standard within your restaurant, but maybe not necessarily standard across the industry. Oh, I don't know if it's not across the industry, but I try to, whenever you're walking past a guest, whether in the front door, like if you're delivering food and you're walking past a guest, trying to always make eye contact mm. and smile. Why is that so important? I don't know, because they came, they're in our house. Yeah. They're, they came to our house for dinner tonight. There's this African saying, and it's escaping my mind right now, but it literally translates, it's like it's like the equivalent to hello, but it, tr- but it translates into I see you. And it's making eye contact, but to smile with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And to like, to actually like take the time to be present, to acknowledge, and to like smile with your eyes. And there's a difference between like doing this make, the fake smile and like really getting your eyes into mm-hmm. it. And it's so powerful. It's like, Oh, it's going to bug me. I can't think of what it's. The, well, I really have liked watching youngsters that have come through across my path through the last 32 years in this industry. I've really enjoyed watching them discover that this is an easy way to make a living to some degree, like, like being hospitable and, and, and gracious and giving somebody something what they need, even before they ask for it. I mean, those are wonderful qualities to have no matter what business you're in. And furthermore, no matter what you're going to do when you grow up and you get out of high school and you get out of college, you're going to have to dine. If you're dining professionally and with a group of professionals and you know what fork to use and you know how to order the wine and you know how to, that's a bonus on you because there's a lot of people that don't know that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can say, could you, could you ask the chef to please leave out any vinegar that might be the da 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 because you know there's vinegar in it and you don't want, I mean, whatever. Ask, you know, be, being mindful of all the lessons you're being taught. Mm-hmm. Take them with you. 
beautiful. Passing I love forward, it. Paying for it. I love it. Beautiful <laughs> stuff. Uh, what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Oh my God. How about uh, Babette's Feast? <laughs> what was your lesson from that book? I don't know. It was just romantically lovely food. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> I mean, it was Mary. I don't know. It, was, it just was ro- a romantic, and I don't mean romantic like love, like. But it was for me. It was just so lovely. It was just such a Intimate. point. I, it, it was like just. I don't know. All the ingredients were so beautiful. Mm. I also did like a. This is a movie though. Cook the wife, his thief, and her lover. A cook. Cook. A thief, his wife, and her lover. Sorry, couldn't. Uh, if you haven't okay. seen that, you should see it. That's that's like cinema, cinema gra- cinematographically pleasing like so many different kitchen scenes and just very dramatic and it's lovely <laughs> beautiful uh i'll link that in the show notes as well and um okay what is one online resource you were leveraging or maybe still are leveraging to this day uh to do the job you do like a, a tool or a event bright <laughs> event bright all right and what is that you can post an event and you can sell tickets through it and and um i so i, I put out an e-blast periodically it used to be once a week it used to be twice a week and um, now it's maybe once a month once every six weeks and i post uh, when i'm doing events or i have a, an event coming up on mardi gras day and i i post a newsletter just talk about what's going on yeah. and what ingredients and i'm tickets. using da 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 and I, I put the link for eventbrite on there to the eventbrite and then i had created an event on the, the eventbrite page and it's just very convenient and i can see everyone that's coming and they've already paid i don't have to worry about da 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 and so i can you can include the taxes. It, it's very. Is it direct deposit into your checking account, or is it yes. through like PayPal? It's going to be either. You can choose either. Cool. Okay. Um, what is one piece of technology you've adopted and you were leveraging in your restaurants uh, that has had an influence, a positive influence in operations? Well, I think the efficiency of using an iPad for the servers was was uh, ultimately once we got all the kinks worked out with the processing yeah. the payment processing and such was i thought it was very convenient for them to have all the access oh, yeah. right there they can just run the credit card it's it's so customer friendly like you're not taking the credit i'll be right back with your credit card Efficient. you're not taking it away from the table like people are getting and there's more even more no advanced things now at I mean, the pos system and stuff like that tripping yep. over people no terminal on that table when you can just be using it for more surface space area. yeah, yeah i mean property you know square footage <laughs> yeah so stuff. i'm curious which platform did you go with oh my gosh it's gone from the brain forgot it already oh this is the last question it's a big one you ready for it am i unstoppable <laughs> that was the first question <laughs> i know i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom Three things you know to be true to tie to your existence. What were those three pieces oh of wisdom? Oh, my God. Be? Bless you. You have to write that down for me to memorize that. <laughs> what are three, three things you know to be true about success in the world? Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to retape over this. No. <laughs> um, think, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I'm gonna, I've drawn a complete blank. Summarize I, this conversation, what you've, what you've said up to this point. Love what you do and do what you love. Honestly, if you're not in love with what you're doing for a living, move on. Do something else. Nobody wants you. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be That's around. one. Okay. Um, family and friends are are important. Don't loan money to anybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I don't know. 
Taste is everything. I keep uh, saying. I mean, it it's like. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm doing all day today, and all day tomorrow, and all day yesterday. I mean, just just cooking and just cooking from the come from your hip. Just just keeping it, keep things moving along and properly storing it and chilling things right and doing things that, that just the proper standard operating procedure. You can't take take can't take that for granted. Chef and Kearney, thank you so much for taking the time You're to welcome. sit with us today, to share your story, to share your, your knowledge, your mentorship. I love this conversation. <laughs> uh, we wrap up every interview by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody that you admire in this industry, who has a great story, who just needs to be made an example of as a guest mentor on the show? Who, do you, who can you think of? Oh, my goodness gracious. Felicia Suzanne Willett. Felicia Suzanne Willett. Yeah, and she owns a restaurant called Felicia Suzanne's in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, I'm headed to Tennessee. It's not you too far to. from Nashville, oh, is it? Oh, she would no. Well, it's it's further from Nashville than you're going to. Well, it is uh, on the east coast, on the west coast. Excuse me, west side of. Mississippi. Oh, that's right. That's right. Around the border. I'll make the trip. She's down. Uh, Felicia Suzanne Willis, look out! I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you as a guest on the show and uh, let the folks know. Uh, can we? How can we connect with you if you want to ask a question based off what okay. we shared, or maybe just follow at, your work? And at chefandkearney.com. And at chefandkearney.com. Yes. I'll have the link in the show notes. I'll also uh, uh, summarize today's discussion and link back to any tool or service or book that was recommended right there, plus contact information for Chef Ann. Chef Ann Kearney, thank you again, man. Thank you. Man, woman. My lady, (laughs) for taking the time to sit with us and to just make us all just a little bit more unstoppable. And there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Ann Kearney, thank you for taking the time to share your story. Some great little nuggets in today's conversation. I think the one that stands out the most to me, uh, just kind of like an overarching lesson really is taking care of your people. Uh, and she had some really great nuggets, uh, lessons learned from some of the mentors she had. Uh, but just the, the story she told about Emeril Lagasse, uh, and how he really, uh, you know, put his, his name out there, uh, and his reputation out there to make sure that she was going to get taken care of uh, when it came time to finding investment. And, uh, you know, just goes to show if you really bust your ass for people, you show up, you work hard, you you, you put your nose down and you, you learn. Uh, people recognize this stuff. And, and when you give all of you, you know, everything, all of yourself uh, to somebody, to their restaurant, uh, and you have gotten to the point where you're ready to go out and do your own thing. If you're working for the right people, they will pay it back. They will use their influence. They will coach you. They will connect you with the right people. And um, who knows? Maybe you know she might have really struggled getting that initial capital if she didn't have em- Emerald Lagasse right there in the room with these bankers saying, you know, give it to her or, or I will. You know, so uh, it just really, you know, you just can't put enough emphasis on. Uh, the value of your name, the value of your reputation, and uh, the value of, of showing up to serve others, it will come back around. 
awesome stuff and just some great nuggets too. I love that nugget. I'm just like never any piece of trash on the floor and uh, just constantly pushing uh, your people to meet those standards of excellence, even with uh, the, the the cutting. Uh, she was talking about she was cutting her vegetables uh, and uh, she was made an example of. But, uh, you know, she had to get pushed to that, to that level and you need to push your people to that level. They won't just know. There's no such thing as common sense in this industry. You can't think that everybody knows what standards you want things done. You, you have to set that standard. You have to constantly, uh, like Danny Meyer, Meyer says, be setting the table, uh, re-centering that salt shaker in the middle of the table, right? Setting those standards. Uh, beautiful stuff. Um, oh, man. Great conversation. Uh, that's all for today. Guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at RestaurantUnstoppable.com. I'm out here in Thailand as this is going live, um, working with my buddy, hoping to take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. So if you've ever had a thought to yourself like, oh, I wish Eric would do this or I wish this feature was available on the website, now is the time to let me know. I can do something about it. I really do want to take this thing to the next level and I want to exist to serve you and I can best serve you if you're telling me what you want. So know that. Act on that. Can't wait for the future. This is going to be awesome. Uh, All right. I love you all. Until next time, peace out.